Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. We may be turning the calendar into a brand new year, but thankfully we've got a God that hears us, heals us, and answers us. And you don't have to get reacquainted. You can. If you need to get reacquainted with the Lord, you can in the new year. But oh, how many know you can just build on your relationship? Amen. And take his presence into the new year. I'm excited for it. Let's just take a poll. How many folks usually stay up for that old year to leave and the new year to come? How many night owls do we have? Raise your hand. There's a few. There's a few. Some of you is like, forget that. Somebody said youth is when you're allowed to stay up for New Year's. Middle age is when you're forced to. (laughs) And I have experienced that. Um, But tonight you're welcome to join us uh, in the back after the service just uh, as we Uh, Take some time together, food, fellowship, and some of us may make it (laughs) to the new year. Uh, And if we do, we'll pause back there and and just take a moment. We want to pray in the new year, and then we'll probably uh, call it a a night. Amen. Well, um, let's stand. I want to read two passages of Scripture this morning. We've got... A lot of our church family under the weather, uh, battling illness, and so we miss them here today. We pray for them, and we look for their soon return, and uh, so you'd be praying for those if you look around and you're wondering, well, where's so-and-so? They usually sit there or there. They're probably under the weather because we've got a lot of it going around, so we're praying for them. We miss them. Uh Today, uh, I would like to uh, begin a series that we're going to take into the new year, and uh, I've called it the most important sermon series ever, and that sounds uh, a little arrogant, but what we're going to talk about, I hope this explains it, is we're going to talk Uh, for a few Sundays, number one, the most important book to read in the new year. Then we're going to talk about the most important voice to listen to in the new year. And we're going to talk about the most important song to sing in the new year. The most important prayer to pray in the new year. So that's why it's called the most important sermon series ever. You got that? I know you understand that. Uh, so that's, uh, that's what we're going to do. And so we're going to begin today, and we're going to read two passages of Scripture. And we do have some visitors here. It is good to see them here joining us this morning. May God bless them. It's been some time since we've seen some of them, and we're glad they are here with us. We, we just rejoice to see them and hope they can come back. Praise the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 89. Psalm 119, 89. And then uh, we're going to go to Isaiah 40 and verse 8. 
but we're going to begin with Psalm 119, 89. Text is provided on the screens as well. I'd like us to read these verses together in audible voice. All right, they're just short verses, but I think they're uh, very applicable and powerful for uh, where we're going this morning. Psalm 119.89, if you're there, say amen. amen. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. One more time. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Isaiah 40 and verse 8 reads, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this divine library that many of us hold in our hands today. Maybe it's the page copy. Maybe it's the media copy on the iPhone. I pray that your presence would minister to us today. Oh, Lord, I pray that your voice would be heard your word would be clear and understandable to us today in Jesus' precious name. Everybody say amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Praise the Lord. One of the things we love to do here at Broadway is study the scriptures. We love to prioritize this book right here. Uh, if the day ever comes where I bring another book to the pulpit and preach out of it, right? You better get nervous, right? And don't just be nervous. You might need to take some action. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, Christ said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We can view that statement one of two ways. Is it a fact or is it fiction? I see it as a fact. What Jesus said is so true. So here at Broadway, we believe that God uses His Word to create and sustain spiritual life in us. If we only eat one meal of physical food a week, how many know we would most likely not be healthy? Now, I could stand to skip some physical meals, and we all... Usually that works its way into a New Year's resolution somewhere. But if we encounter God's Word only once a week, how many know we're going to be lacking in spiritual health? This is why we preach. This is why we teach from the Bible. Here at Broadway, three scheduled times through the week. This is why we encourage a systematic daily time in the Word of the Lord. God develops us spiritually. He develops us even emotionally, mentally, when we encounter His Word. And 
at the threshold of this year, I'd like to speak about the greatest book that we could read in the new year and why we can trust it. How many know you can trust this book? And I'd also like to challenge you, join our church family and our church-wide Bible reading plan for the year. It's a good thing when the sheep are grazing in the same pasture. So Sister Sandy has included the trifold uh, Bible reading chart in the bulletin this week, enabling you to join us. And that's, uh, I believe, the uh, sanctuary class is going to be... Uh, starting a new series on spiritual disciplines and they're going to be looking at uh, just some real nuggets to help you do that uh, practically and so uh, I want to just encourage you come and be a part of that uh, but however you can get the word of God in you daily how many know it is going to bless your life your family's life how many love the word I'd like to start with a story in the sweltering summer heat of August of 1885. Six and a half inches of rain fell in Chicago within 24 hours. As you could expect, that produced major flooding. It, they said it caused uh, the wastewater from Chicago, the sewer, from the city's 750,000 residents to run off along with the cattle stockyard runoff and all of that washed into the Chicago River. That polluted water then was carried by the river into Lake Michigan. According to an exaggerated story in the Chicago Tribune published at that time, this toxic brew, I guess you could call it, was then sucked up by the intake system that provided the city of Chicago with its drinking water. Soon the people of the city of Chicago began talking about the possible outbreak of cholera, dysentery, typhoid, and other waterborne diseases. Somebody suggested that people were dying from those diseases in Chicago, eventually leading to a claim that one out of eight Chicagoans succumbed to this waterborne epidemic. This story was then repeated without any evidence and was assumed to be an established fact of history. In 1956, uh, Chicago's Water Sanitation Department actually uh, published a pamphlet uh, describing this 1885 epidemic. However, this supposed fact of history changed when in the year of 2000, uh, journalist L Libby Hill wrote a book on the history of the Chicago River and its impact on the city of Chicago. She planned to include a chapter in her book on this 1885 epidemic that caused 
what everybody had heard, one in eight people in Chicago to die from uh, the wastewater. Here's the problem. When she began examining the death rate in 1885 there in Chicago, she found it was actually lower than in previous years. And then she did the math. If one in eight people in Chicago died from a waterborne epidemic, that would have been 94,000 people died in Chicago. That would have been dead bodies everywhere throughout the city of Chicago. But that didn't happen. It turns out that the 1885 Chicago epidemic was a tall tale that was started by the media and then was repeated so many times that everybody assumed it was true. But the truth is, it never took place. The facts didn't back it up. And I, I read that and I thought today in our generation, many people look at the Bible in a parallel way. They think that this book is just a collection of urban legends. And they think that it, they, it has just been around so long and repeated so many times that people assume it's true even though there's no evidence, they say, that it's true. So today, I want to I make the case that we can trust this book. Aren't you glad you can trust this book? And uh, we're going to look at three big reasons why. First, because it is a supernaturally inerrant book. Second, because it is an authoritative book for our lives. Third, because it is the essential way to get to know God. All right? So let's begin reason number one. The Bible is a supernatural, inerrant book. When it comes to understanding what the Bible is, there's a key verse over in the New Testament 2 Timothy 3 and 16. It reads, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Remember that verse? How many's read that verse before? Now, the Greek word, used there for inspiration means literally breathed out. It states that the words of Scripture are literally spoken by God with His own breath. And while there are many different human authors, God literally spoke His words through them so they could say exactly what he wanted said. How many believe that? That's how it happened. The Bible is literally God speaking to us. If the Bible is literally God speaking to us, that brings us to a fair question. Is there any evidence that the Bible 
is a supernatural book. Well, I want to show you just a few points of evidence. And while no one single piece of evidence that I want to give you conclusively proves the Bible is God speaking to us, when taken together, they do, I believe, provide strong evidence that the Bible is indeed authored by God. And so here's some, a few small points under this first uh, point. And number one under here is the Bible is historically accurate. When it comes to many references in the Bible to people, places, events, archaeologists tell us the Bible has amazing accuracy. I don't know if you know the name Lee Strobel, but in his book called The Case for Christ, he cited an highly, uh, several actually, esteemed archaeologists who examined every one of the geographical references in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And those two books alone reference 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine islands, yet they never found one mistake geographically. Famous Jewish archaeologist Nelson Gluick, who's not even a Christian, he has gone on record saying there has never been a single archaeological discovery that has contradicted the Bible. All archaeological discoveries have only served to further support this book right here. Praise God. Somebody say, you can trust it. So here's another point under this main first point. The Bible is not only historically accurate, it is prophetically accurate. In church, you know, we hear about Old Testament prophecy that is fulfilled by Christ in the New Testament. We, we hear about those prophecies all the time. We just came through the Christmas season and we, we refer to them every year, especially at this time. What most of us don't realize is that a prophecy about the future is extremely rare in most religions. For example, in all the works of Buddha, all the works of Confucius, there is not a single occurrence of a predictive prophecy. In the entire Quran, written by Muhammad, there is only one prophecy, and it is very vague. Okay? Now, the reason other Religions don't give prophecies about the future is common sense. If they are proven wrong, they're going to look like fools. And the inaccuracy of their religion is going to be plainly seen, right? But how many know when it comes to this book right here, it's different. We have more than 2,000 prophecies about the future. And they are not vague. 
like you would find in a fortune cookie. Huh? Most of them are clear. Most of them are detailed. You would only expect to find this in the Bible if it's authored by God. Only God knows the future. Only He can tell us the way things are going to take place years ahead. And consider a few of the prophecies made about Christ hundreds of years before He was born. And we mentioned them, like I said, in the Christmas season. For example, Micah predicted Christ would be born in a small village in Bethlehem. And he predicted that 700 years before Christ was born. Micah 5.2. Also 500 years before Christ, Zechariah predicted Christ would enter Jerusalem triumphantly on the back of a, a colt. That's Zechariah 9.9. He also predicted Christ would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, which he was, Zechariah 11.12. Isaiah described how Christ would be put to death alongside of criminals and yet would be buried in a rich man's tomb. That's Isaiah 53 and like 9 and 10. Turns out Christ did die hanging between two thieves, yet was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, the tomb of a rich man. Listen, there are hundreds of prophecies like that. These kinds of prophecies are precise. They don't happen by chance. They are evidence that God was speaking about the future through the prophets, through the apostles, that God used to write the words of God. This is strong evidence. The Bible has a supernatural character. No other book is like this one. Praise God. Next, the Bible is a durable book. I like that word durable. How many like to drive a durable car? Right? Again and again throughout history, the enemies of Christ and His church have attempted to stamp out the Bible. Those efforts, although sometimes sustained for years, have all proven unsuccessful. Unsuccessful. God has supernaturally protected the word of God from being destroyed. And my favorite story, and I'm going to highlight it and we'll move on, is about the French philosopher and atheist. You remember from history books, Voltaire? He constantly wrote against the Bible, describing it as a book of fairy tales. And this is what he said about the Bible and what he expected would happen to it in the future. And I quote, he says, 100 years from my day, there will be a... There will not be a Bible on earth except one that is looked upon by an antique book collector and a curiosity seeker. That's what Voltaire said back in 1776. But how many know the ironic twist is 50 years after his death, his own house was purchased by the Geneva Bible Society as a warehouse to store Bibles. They stored Bibles. They stored gospel tracts because the demand was so great. And wait, there's more. Then his personal printing press was also used by the Geneva Bible Society to print more Bibles. I don't know about you, but God has a sense of humor. 
Praise God. The Bible is a durable book. The Bible is a, next one, consistent book. We must remember the Bible is just not one book. It's a library of 66. And the authors of the various Bible books wrote in three different languages over 15, 1600 years. They came from various backgrounds. But how many know the books of the Bible have remarkable consistency? They fit together into one book like the pieces of a puzzle. And it is as if there was one central author writing through each of those biblical authors so that the details in one book line up with the details of the other books. Imagine trying to get writers today to agree on any one topic. For example, like COVID or politics or sports. That would be impossible. Somebody say that would be impossible. How do the books of the Bible written over 1,500 years from authors with such diverse backgrounds and cultures find themselves agreeing with one another if God wasn't the ultimate author superintending the writing of each of those books? Praise God. Next point, the Bible is a miraculous book. If the Bible is truly God's word and speaking his thoughts, don't you think it would contain stories of his miraculous intervention in our world? Unfortunately, how many know the miracles in the Bible are the very reasons skeptics give for discrediting the Bible? Thomas Jefferson, for example, is a child he was a child, not as a child, but he was a child of the, what we would call the scientific enlightenment group. History says he refused to believe anything that could not be tested, repeated, and studied in a laboratory. If he couldn't repeat it, he didn't believe it. Since Christ's miracles were unrepeatable, he refused to believe them. One day he took out his Bible and he literally cut out all of the New Testament miracles. All of Christ's miracles. He considered them impossible since they couldn't be repeated. And here's the problem though with that line of thinking. Historical events cannot be repeated and proven by testing them in a science lab, can they? The only way we can verify historical events is by talking to the eyewitnesses of those events and what they wrote about them. How do you know that George Washington crossed the Delaware River in 1776? We can't repeat that in a lab, right? How do we know that Abraham Lincoln gave the Gettysburg Address in 1863? We can't repeat that in a laboratory. The only way to know if George Washington crossed the Delaware, Abraham Lincoln delivered the Gettysburg Address, is by talking to the eyewitnesses or reading the eyewitnesses' account. They tell us what took place and they verify what happened. It's no different when it comes to Christ's miracles. 
The way we know they are true is from the claims of the eyewitnesses who were there. They claimed those miracles were true. Hallelujah. Jesus could touch the deaf mute and he could hear. Jesus could heal the blinded eyes. And the stories of Christ's life which tell us of his miracles were written close enough to the events that if the miracles in the Gospels were not truly what happened, the eyewitnesses would have discredited the Gospel writers and they would have laughed them out of town. That isn't what happened though. The eyewitnesses who were still alive when the gospels were written simply confirmed and said, I know because I was there. They didn't deny them. Paul made the same argument in 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection. He said the eyewitnesses of the resurrection were still alive. Paul says if you think it didn't happen, feel free to reach out to the eyewitnesses. They will confirm that Christ did indeed rise from the dead. Praise God. Another one, the Bible is a book that transforms lives. As a Christian, but especially as a pastor, I have a ringside seat as I meet with people whose lives they testify to the transforming power of this book right here. They ask Christ to take away their sin. They ask Christ to save their soul. And the Bible tells us that when people do this, they are literally supernaturally transformed into new creatures. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, Paul said, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things, become, oh, hallelujah. In the Gospel of John, this is called being born again. Show me any other book that has transformed people like this. Show me any other book that can take lives that are caught in the web of sin and addictions that then completely transform those people into new creations who love God instead of love sin. Listen, no other book does that like this book. Praise God. Somebody say, thank God for the Word of God. Most important book you'll read in the new year. Now jumping back out into the main three points. Reason number two is the Bible is an authoritative book. And I won't take long because I'm running out of time. Many people treat the Bible the same they would, they would treat a book of suggestions. Suggestions they would get from their coach or from a YouTube video. But church, let's not make, in the new year, let's not make the mistake of considering the Bible a book of suggestions. God's word is not just empty advice. It is authoritative. The Bible is to be the final authority in our lives. The Bible is the Word of God. That makes it authoritative. It tells us the truth. When God speaks in the Bible, it is authority over us. Anyone who knows what God says on a subject but chooses to close his eyes or his ears and ignore God's words on a subject is building their life on the sand. One day it's going to all come crashing down. 
But may we build our life on the rock, the solid foundation of the Word of God, which tells us the authoritative truth that we can live by. Praise God. And here's my final point, reason number three. The Bible is the essential way to truly know God. Psalm 19 tells us that there's two ways that God reveals himself so that we could know him. The first way is by looking around at creation. Look around at creation. God's creation gives us an idea of how majestic the creator must be, right? Gives us an idea of God's size, his ability, his beauty, his, his complexity, and his power. Listen, Psalm 19, 7 and 8 then tells us that the only other way that we can know God truly is by how he reveals himself in his words. God's word doesn't just reveal God to us, but look what God's word does in accord, according to the psalmist here in chapter 19. He says, God's word revives the soul. It makes simple people wise. It brings joy to the heart. It enlightens the eyes. That means it helps us see the truth about life and how to live. Look what else David said about the Bible in Psalm 19, 10 and 11. He said, it's more to be desired than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. He says, in enough keeping of these words right here, there is great reward. If you had a choice between winning the lottery and having a Bible in the new year, you would be better off choosing the Bible instead of winning the lottery. Why? Because God's word is valuable and life transforming. If you think chocolate tastes good, the Bible tastes better. I know, I know. I just lost you on that. If you think chocolate brings joy, this book will bring real joy. More joy than your favorite comfort food. Oh, you say, how do I get the Bible into my life? Well, I'm going to close with this. According to a study, U.S. Department of Education said that half of American adults have difficulty reading. Reading has become a lost art, especially for those who are young. Less than one... I believe they said less than a third of 13-year-olds read on a daily basis. Rather than reading, they're addicted to the media. Sitting on YouTube, scrolling through Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. Snapchat. I, I, I looked at that and I said, Nicholas Carr, who wrote a book called The Shallows and What the Internet is Doing to Our Brain. That was the title of his book. He concludes that the internet is really making our generation S-T-U-P-I-D. Our brains are being jammed full of useless information. 
from pop-up ads and hyperlinks to funny cat YouTube videos or the TikTok shorts. There is such a, a overwhelming flood of useless information in our lives right now that we don't retain anything of value. And Nicholas Carr recommends the antidote. He says, you need to read quality books. And so from what we've looked at this morning, what is the best book to read in this new year? This book right here. There is nothing better we can do than get this Bible flowing through our veins. Listen, there is nothing better. Getting the Bible into our lives is not just our responsibility. It is our pleasure. It is our reward, the psalmist says. Get a grip on the Bible by hearing it. It's biblical. Nehemiah chapter 8 tells us what God's people did when they returned to Jerusalem after 70 years of captivity in Babylon. At that time, their country was a mess. The temple was a pile of rubble. The people were depressed. They were demoralized. They knew the reason for their exile into Babylon was because they wandered away. From the word of God. They didn't want that to happen again. And so they determined that in order to turn their generation around, they needed to start hearing and learning God's word again. So they go to Ezra. And he's their spiritual leader. And they say, Ezra, we don't have a copy of the scripture. So we need you to read to us every day. And Ezra, their spiritual leader, reads them the Bible, the scriptures they had at that time every day. All the people would assemble, the scripture says, to hear the Bible being read from daybreak till noon. Day after day, Ezra stood on a wooden platform and simply read the Bible to the people. And then the Levites instructed the people about its practical application. Listen, I thought if the public teaching of Scripture was an essential part of the Israelites getting the Word of God in their lives, it stands to reason, church, that sitting under the public teaching of God's Word will also be an essential part of us getting the Bible in our lives in these last days. I want to have a grip on God's word in the last days. So we have it on our shelves. But how many know until we take it off? Get it off the shelf and get it in our soul. That's where it's going to do its most good. Sister Jones, you can come. Recent poll revealed 95% of those who claim to be Christians have a Bible in their house but only 19% of Christians read the Bible two or more times a week. 81% of Christians read the Bible less than two times a week. As we stand together, church, let's remember, the Bible isn't just any other book. It's God's breathed out words. It is the truth we need in a world filled with lies, in a world of political spin, it is more valuable than winning the lottery.
Will you make that commitment this morning, the final Sunday of this year? Would you make a commitment that says, Lord, in the new year of 2024, I want to strengthen my connection. I want to strengthen my relationship with your word. Maybe you would take the Bible reading challenge. What, but whatever. My prayer is that there would be nothing in our lives come between us and the most powerful book on the planet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, here today, we celebrate your word. It has come down to us through many generations and you have preserved it. And we believe as your word has told us, Christ said not one jot or one tittle of it will pass away until all be fulfilled. Help us to build our lives and continue to build them in 2024 upon this great word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people say amen. These altars are open as Sister Jones sings. What are you singing, Sister Jones? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto you really believe that? You don't have to walk in darkness. You don't have to guess about what the will of God is for you. This book right here will be your roadmap into the new year. This book right here will be your GPS into the and through the new year. Why don't you strengthen your relationship with the church? Hallelujah. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When I feel afraid, I think I've lost my way. Still you're there right beside me. Nothing will I fear as long as you are near. Please be near me to the end. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path.